just it's it's its own beast and it just keeps rolling down the hill i'm just trying to hold on to it and i can remember i was on this rocky ridge and all of a sudden right there in front of me uh, a desert ram appeared i'd really really never seen one before and just as soon as it appeared and stared me down it turned and then just a, a flash of the eye and a little bit of dust it was gone but I was so intrigued by where those animals lived that that started me on a journey that uh, definitely has changed my life. You know, we often hear from everybody, and I heard growing up as a kid, you know, oh, Weatherby, I've always wanted to own a Weatherby. We sat around the campfire right there at the kill site, and we probably sat there for, I don't know, hours, recounting the experience, loving it, living it over and over again, and just and just really taking in the moment. And so to me, you know, that's one. And then, you know, I've had other deer that I've hunted for a couple of years and you finally put your hands on them and there's something to be said for that too. But, but, but I really enjoyed that experience and being able to experience that together. And so it's about who you're hunting with too at times. It's not just about the animal. That was one of those nights that I remember we even said it. We're like, will this ever happen again? to the RNA Outdoors podcast fueled by Ripcord Arrowrest and First Light Hunting Apparel. At RNA, we are public land DIY conservationists that love to share our passion for the outdoors. So join us and our team as we interview professionals in the industry to share insight knowledge that helps make hunters and anglers more successful. listeners, subscribers, and fellow outdoorsmen and women. This is your host, Lucas Paw, and I'm excited to tell you about some of the sponsors that continue to help make this podcast not only happen, but grow and thrive in this digital world of audio content. This podcast is brought to you by Ripcord Arrowrest, the bow hunter's number one fallaway rest on the market. Ripcord is known for 100% full-time arrow containment and their patented drop-dead brake system that eliminates launcher bounce back. Best of all, Ripcord is backed by their rock-solid guarantee. If the original owner has a part break for any reason, it will be repaired or replaced at no charge. And did I mention? Ripcord is located in southwest Montana, where all their products are made with pride in America. Check them out at ripcordrs.com and on their social media feeds. This podcast is brought to you by First Light Clothing and Hunting Apparel. Born in the Rockies in central Idaho, First Light's mission is to create simple yet proven versatile gear that provides comfort and performance in any situation 
while working to promote the pursuit of ethical hunting and stewardship. I recently joined the First Light Pro staff team and have continued to be impressed year after year in their innovations in engineering and merino wool fabrics. Ten years ago, they started putting out wool fabrics with camel patterns and immediately this changed the game. Since then, they offer multiple layering systems and kits in various proprietary patterns and continue to raise the bar with their competition. Find them online at firstlight.com or under their social media feeds. Go farther, stay longer. There you go. Bam, 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 bam. Well, 2018, big boy coming to a wrap here in the Big Paul Mansion. Crazy man, 2018 is basically almost done. I mean, where where did the year go? <laughs> You're asking me. The problem is now we have to wait almost another half year before we do something, unless we go crazy and. I know. I and, hear you. And do something out of, out of character, or maybe it's in character with permission, hopefully. True. Yeah. Well. Well, what do you want to do, man? I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm yours. This, let's wrap this whole thing up. Recapping hunting season year to date. Correct. Dude, 2018. 2018. And I'm looking at this list, and it's rather long because we did a lot of hunting this year. See, I thought the list looked short. We need a couple more trips on here. Well, we do, but notice a couple of them were combined trips, things that uh, you and I did together. We got went to <laughs> Africa together. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about that. You shot a pretty nice bull in Nevada, so I'd be anxious to hear a little bit about that. And obviously, yeah. Wyatt had some good deer hunts this year, too, and you took Amber out deer hunting. So, yeah, it was, it was definitely no shortage of getting out and chasing some animals and enjoying God's country, right? Yeah, you know what was interesting is it all started off earlier this year with us uh, kind of doing doing quite a few shows and goofing off that yep. direction. Yep. You know. Yeah. Meet. So you and I hit up uh, Western Hunting Expo together. That's kind of one of our road trips we yep. do. Yeah. Um, and of course, you do NRA convention, um, and then I did Sheep Show and uh, the BHA Rendezvous this year. So. Was it just last year that we did Dallas Safari Club? We did Dallas Safari, too. That was the first weekend in January. That's right. Actually, my friend Kim called me and said, hey, you should come back. Anyway, another story altogether. Yeah. yeah. Well, after all those shows, then then it was whacking and stacking time. You you kicked it off with turkey season, but it was, it was kind of rough on you, wasn't it? It was. So I, uh, yeah, I did. I started out in turkey season, and uh, I was chasing birds like crazy. I had a mutual friend of mine who's been on the podcast, John Spazano. He's a kind of a new, relatively new, um, um, archer. And, um, yeah, I was taking him out trying to get him a bird and it was the first day of the season, uh, on public land. Uh, we had him within 15 yards of a very mature Tom and he just didn't know what to do. You know, I was sitting there videoing this bird going all the way around my uh, decoys and John's sitting there behind this chaparral bush and, he just didn't, he didn't know what turkeys did. He didn't know when they fan out, when they strut, like where to shoot. And, uh, that bird ran off. I called him back again 
and had him within like eight yards and he never shot. And I'm just sitting there like looking at him like, please just shoot this thing. And, well, uh, well, I find that I found that interesting. But as you mentioned, he's a first time hunter. First time hunter. And that's that's actually half of the joy of all this stuff yeah. is when you take somebody that's never done it and the exhilaration you get as a mentor. Exactly. And, and once again, everybody out there listening, please, please, please. I don't care if it's a kid or if it's a 70 year old guy. Take somebody hunting with you. Yeah. I'm telling you, grow our sport. Yeah. People just really don't realize it. I mean, I took a friend of mine to Africa this year, you know, and man, Bob had only been yeah. on one other hunt prior to this where he'd killed something that was with me in Wyoming. Now he's going to Africa. Now what's he talking about? Okay. When are we going to Africa? When are we going to Africa? Again? I know. You we, know? So, him, and, him and Kellner both. I don't know that we ever get them <laughs> shut up on going back to Africa. But Well, that's awesome. Uh, anyway, so yeah, Turkey ended up good on the second to last day. I ended up connecting on a good bird and um, just happened to be, you know, right timing. And, and I got into a flock of birds and uh, there was a lot of jakes and, and uh, hens in the group. And I was able to pick off the one mature Tom at like 38 yards and sunk an arrow in him. And uh, he piled up right there. So yeah, turkey season for me is always fun because I attribute turkey hunting a lot like elk hunting. Although, you know, obviously the, 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 the animal is clearly not, you know, the size of an elk, but the, when you hunt turkeys in the spring, there's a lot of similarities, right? You hear a turkey gobble, it's like an elk bugling, right? Then yeah. you get in close, you start like you would cow call, but you start making hen sounds. Next thing you know, you got this big bird coming in. So it's, you know, they call them the feathered elk for a reason because their tendencies are a lot like hunting elk. And uh, there's just a lot of, I, I mean, I took you out a few years ago and yeah. you kind of got a little bit of a bug too, you know, because you're walking and you hear, oh, I heard that. Oh, there's yeah. a gobble, right? So, uh well, it's a little addicting, and and that's half the that's half the fun, you know. I mean, it's nothing like the quarry and the chase and and getting down with uh, trying trying to outsmart an animal. Yeah, man, I was amazed though that turkeys, their eyesight is just off the chart. You, oh yeah, you twitch and 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 they got you, but you know that's the thing. They can't smell you. They can hear you okay, but man, their eyesight is unbelievable. So phenomenal yeah. yeah so turkey season was good and then you know we roll into to pig hunting season you know brad he's always you know whacking and stacking pigs and uh we were chasing you know a lot of pigs um at his place and i was fortunate to um, actually go out as funny I, I went out um with a group of guys he had two clients he was trying to get archers and um they basically, you know, went to the backside of this place. So I just kind of went off and did my own thing. Next thing I know, I got this group of pigs coming at me, just running by and stopping in front of me running. So I saw this good calico based pig that came out at like, I think it was like 50 some yards and stopped and just started feeding and, uh, smacked it you know i was just like so these guys right place at the right time yeah, is what it was that's so called. funny because you know i smacked that thing ran up died i could hear it i could hear it go into the trees and crash went and got my arrow um and I, of course i got blood on my fingers i was like oh okay so brad and all them and there's no cell service back where we were so i get back up on the hill and i see brad uh, down uh, at the picnic table range where he was waiting and so I'm waving up there and I finally got, um, uh, uh, I was able to call. So I called Brad and I'm like, Hey, you should come back here. There's still some pigs back here. He's like, Oh, okay. So he grabs the two hunters and they come up that hill and, and, uh, we're talking. He's like, well, where are they at? And I just put my hand out and I had blood on my hand and he's like, no, you didn't. And then I showed him the quiver. I showed him the arrow on my quiver and he's like, you're kidding me. And, uh, we went in and retrieved the pig. So 
Yeah. So, I mean, you know, spring, I mean, spring pig hunting, as you know, here on the coast is just, it's a heck of a lot of fun when the, when the alfalfa starts growing and, oh, and, the, man. and the, and the barley heads out and, uh, it's, I mean, it's game time. And then when it gets cut, it's like, you got water, you got yeah. feed, you know, it's, it's just, it's ripe for, for, for pig opportunity here on the coast. And that's such, that's such an awesome experience for anybody that wants to just get out it's a great time of year because there's not a whole lot of things going on so you know people that want to just get out and you know like yourself and and fling a couple arrows and just get into the groove um but rifle hunters i mean holy cow you probably could have shot six or seven pigs in that one little thing if you'd have wanted to totally it's it's awesome when you got a great place to do that yeah and i mean you've obviously taken the kids and last year you know we got Wyatt's pig and you know Amber shot the pig a couple of years ago. I mean it's it's a good animal to yeah it's pretty inexpensive um, depending on the time of the year and access. It's a great animal to practice on, right? And the meat is the meat is actually really good. Oh you know? man, those it's, last two pigs that the kids killed, but both of them were feeding in barley fields. So yeah. I mean they were just they were phenomenal. In fact, actually I think I only have one package left from from those two pigs. Amazingly enough, we ate pretty much every lick of that those two pigs yeah. and it was marvelous yeah marvelous meat yeah so you know in the spring and early summer they're just eating all that good feed so they're just they're fattening up and they are they are pretty good eating so i'm looking forward to to spring this year um i'm hopeful for a wet year right i think we all are hopeful for for a wet year but um you know the more rain we get obviously the better feed which which transforms into a lot of good things not only for our pigs and turkeys but our deer and our elk and all the other yeah. species that's a, that's really mission critical that we have good feed. So let's pray. Let's pray that the moisture that we've been getting keeps coming. You know, every every couple of weeks we get yeah. a little another charge, and it helps grow the feed because we could sure use another moisture year. You know, we had yep. that one three years ago, and and that provided some great forage. But then we kind of dropped off the last couple of years again. Yeah. So we really need. We need we need that. I yeah. mean, our horn growth and and just the wildlife in general need as much moisture as we can possibly get it. And so far this year, it's it's looking pretty good. Yeah. But yeah. you know, time will tell because we've been in this position before where it's hit us pretty good early on, and then it then it dw- dwindles to nothing, and then yeah. everything pops up, and we get six inches of grass, and then it all dies. Well, and to your point, it's the it's the steady continuous, right? It's not the dump an inch in an hour and then it all runs to the you know the the river it's like small steady light that's the best rain that you can get right absolutely so well and then summer rolls around july 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 in africa people if you've never been it's time for you to take the chance and go out and do it it's pretty funny because you were on the fence up until like what (laughs) i mean when Uh, did you buy your plane ticket uh, five weeks before <laughs> before we left i'm like is jason gonna go alex is emailing me hey you gotta talk jason into going is he gonna go i'm like i don't know i'm trying <laughs> to get him to go and then i'm driving to work one morning and just like bored out of my mind and uh i thought well let me just check and see if there's any flights so i get to work and uh, i checked the flights and immediately when i got to work i saw the the flight for delta on xpd i'm like it's under a thousand bucks. I'm like, okay, I paid like $1,400 to fly. So which was a good price. I like, yeah. So I like called Jason and, or maybe texted him or something. It was pretty early. I'm like, dude, dude, there's flights for Delta. Like you want to go Delta out of Atlanta? I'm like, it's like under a thousand bucks. So it worked out oh, it and was, you made it happen. It was phenomenal. I mean, when you contacted me, I, I mean, I was already on the fence, but at the same time I wanted to go. 
And I still remember going in and telling Candy, I was like, hey, so um, Lucas just sent me a note and flights are a thousand bucks. And the last time I had went, I paid $2,000 a person. And uh, so my wife looked at me and goes, well, you know what that means? I'm thinking, oh, no, what's that mean? She's like, uh, you have to take your son with you since it's half price. You got to take him too. Boy, it's got to go. So lo and behold, me and the boy booked a flight that day and next thing you know we're all we're all checking off the list you know trying to get our packing list all together did you ever post your packing list that you put out on on your uh, site or anything no you know so i I, so after the fact you know i I did write a a story in a blog for the for the website and uh, i've i've submitted that to, to africa hunting gazette so um i did put in there a lot of my equipment and my gear that I use for the hunt. I didn't so much pack a list. I do have a list that I used when I packed to check off, right. And things yeah. that just to make sure I didn't forget. But the thing about Africa is it, it's, it's not like you're going to Colorado and spending 10 days in the backcountry where survival yeah. gear back, you know, a, a good pack, um, tent, sleeping bag, sleeping pad or essential. Yeah. You're going to Africa. You really need the base minimal stuff to do that. Right. Well, let's, let's talk about that base minimal stuff. Okay. So Africa is awesome. Oh yes, it is a guided hunt, but basically it's all out of a lodge. So really every day you're sleeping in a nice warm room, dry, comfortable, you know, you've got running water, you've got, you've got bathrooms, you've got a common area with a full stocked fridge of anything that you might possibly need. And then some, and of course, you know, coffee, tea and everything else in between. So for those people that have never experienced that, I mean, I think it was pretty cool for us because we had a really great group and mm-hmm. we've talked about that before. Yeah, yeah we did. Derek and Meredith and Bob and Dave. Brandon. And, and Brandon and yeah. you and I and, yeah. and Wyatt. Wyatt. I mean, geez, Alex, Alex and his brother Johnny put on a top-notch group, uh, yeah. Elon Safaris. We had a fantastic hunt. I mean... In fact, I think we even surprised them in regards to uh, um, the number of animals that we ended up shooting. Because we, yeah, you fell off the wagon. It's okay, man. It's okay. It's yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, when I realized that Cape Buffalo was was not a reality, that's when I realized I had a little more, you know, money to play with. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I think forty eight for eight animals or forty eight for eight hunters is I think what we landed. Yeah, so. we, we, we had a fantastic time. And, yeah. You know, a funny thing is for me, I mean, I, you know, I've been quite a few times and it's just, I'm, I'm the odd guy. I'm the one shooting the weird stuff. Yeah. But then I turn around and friggin' Bob and Meredith both shoot black Impalas. I'm like, wait a second. That was on my list. And, and I never got yeah, one. You haven't shot one of those yet. Yeah. So, but I did, I, I was very fortunate to, uh, get my sesame which is something that I've hunted a couple different times. And I was very fortunate to uh, actually shoot that golden wildebeest. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, with then, your bow too. Yeah. And then d- doing the, doing the night hunt, that yeah. was, that was an absolute wild experience. And I mean, I mean you then, got to do it with, with, with Wyatt first. Yeah. Right. And then, then when you decided to do it and we ran out there, uh, you, you'll have to post your, uh, your night shot. Yeah. The, the video, the video, we'll that, that was pretty incredible. We had and a great I apologize time. for my language, people. It was all in fun. <laughs> it was just exciting. I and probably so. should bleep that out, but Jason was pretty over the moon when he realized I actually hit this animal at like 40 yards. You know, in the dark. When we talk about a steam buck, this is a fully sized ram that weighs 
12 pounds? I don't know. I think, it, I think it might have been pushing 19. I mean, it yeah. was a big one, dude. Yeah. It was yeah. a serious big yeah. one. So they're just tiny. They're a tiny antelope species, the common steambuck. But, you know, the rams just have those two little, you know, basically pointed little, little spikes. horns, little spikes. But uh, that was an awesome shot that was a in lot the of fun. dark. I mean, I'm mean, arranging for me. You're like, okay, 41, 39. I'm like, I mean, I was trying 41. to do my job. I was trying then to do my job. Right when you said 39 is when I released, then you can just hear that. Wow. And that's the amazing thing in the video where you actually heard the thump. I mean, I was just, I mean, I'm, I was looking through the rangefinder, So, I mean, I, I was on it and I literally saw the arrow hit it. Yeah. And I was just like, I just, I was floored. That was incredible. Incredible shot. It was fun. And uh, well, the incredible thing trip. about that day was, was the fact that. I shot my baboon that morning, and Alex told me he's like, you know, we we've we've had archery hunters hunt baboons. We've never had anyone take one with a with a bow. I'm like, okay, so you know, you sh- you went to that blind. You know what the oh, scenario was there. There's not a, crap, a lot of shooting it's shooting a space shooting space for a bow. So I end up smacking this baboon with my bow and just kind of like was surreal. real. On, yeah, it was pretty surreal. And then I go and I do this steambuck hunt. It was either dick dick or steambuck. And, uh, you know, Alex again and Petrie both are like, yeah, we really don't have people do archery hunting. I mean, the truck's moving and you're standing in the back trying to shoot the damn thing with your bow. And here I go smack this thing with my bow. It was just like, it was one of those days. It was like, man, everything's just kind of like really feeling really good. You know, like my bow shooting good. I felt good. It was just, I don't know. It was, it was just one it was of those aligned. days, right? It was definitely aligned. You, you were in the zone and you put it all together and made it happen, which, yeah. you know, those things don't always happen, no, right? And no. that's and that's the beautiful part about it. That's the beautiful part about it. You know, well, I, for anybody anybody that's interested, you know, contact Lucas or I, and and we'll get you set up to go to Africa. Because let me tell you, it is way fun. And, yeah, you know, I bang you, for the, your buck. It's, the honey, it's the, way the to hunting go. was phenomenal. But to me, it was the nights when everyone came back. It was the just the the fellowship. It was you know standing around the fire, you know, having a sundowner watching them cook, you know, whatever you'd harvested a couple days before. And then the meals, I mean, the meals were just phenomenal there. I mean, everything about that African experience is like everything you would ever want it to be if you were to go there. Right. Well, what, one of the first meals that we had was zebra. Yeah. Oh, and it was phenomenal. I've never, I don't think I've ever had better meat than zebra. And you were crazy about Eland, right? I'm an, I mean, I'm an Eland you're like, junkie. you got to have Eland. And so we had Eland and the Eland was good, but the zebra was, I mean, I, it, it was so good. And I've told people that I'm like, yeah, we had zebra and it was the best thing I ate there. And, and the funny part is, you know, I mean, we shot the Eland basically almost at the end of the hunt. Yeah. So it did not have any time to, to age properly, but still it was awesome. And then we ate kudu. Yeah. I mean, the kudu was kudu was marvelous. Good. The wildebeest was Wildebeest really good. Was good. Yeah. Oh man, it was no shortage of, of oh, excellent food. Dude, we yeah. ate and ate. I I freaking gained six pounds on that trip. Funny thing is, is I gained one pound on that trip, and all you we did don't was ever sit. gain any weight yeah, doing anything. I know. I know. I do. <laughs> I definitely didn't gain any weight when I was on Kodiak, <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to get there yet because we had a whole summer. So. So, so we're kind of walking through 2018 springtime, pig hunting, turkey. We threw in Africa this year, which was just kind of something that happened and, and was an awesome trip. But the beauty for us in California is, is our hunting really starts for deer in July and it's the second now, weekend now, in wait July. Now, wait a second. Now you say the beauty that could also 
be considered it's really crappy too. Well, but that's good for us because we like to explore other states, and that's true. so being able to hunt early in July is great. It's but good. Let me tell you, you and I also hunted in a hundred and what degree weather? Yeah. And let me tell you. That was miserable. No, it's miserable. But miserable when the deer come out like with with like two or five minutes left in the evening, and you're like, "Oh my god, there's one!" Yeah, but, but that's that's, that's black, California. That's blacktail hunting for us, right? So <laughs> A zone opens the second weekend in July. So we're we're out there with our bows in July here on the coast, where it could be eighty degrees on a Saturday night, or it could be one hundred and five degrees, right? You. We, Wait a second. We landed back here, and it wasn't it just a couple days later, and you went out, right? Yep. Yeah. For the first time. So the first time, yeah. So, um, and I had been watching bucks and trail camming bucks a lot of the summer, and um, until that little kitty kitty showed up. Yeah. Until the kitty kitty showed up, and then funny thing was, is um, Justin Dowling, who we've had on this podcast, ended up shooting one of the bucks that I had had on my game camera. Funny thing was, is he shot the buck. He sends me a picture of it. I'm looking at it. It's fork and horn. So I go back and I go through my pictures on my phone and I and I email or I texted him the picture. I said, "Here's your buck." <laughs> so um, yeah, so you know, summer blacktail. If I if I could sum up summer blacktail hunting, um, I chased basically one buck all summer, and um, I ended up getting an arrow in that buck um, like a few weeks before the season ended. And uh, actually, I got two arrows in that buck, and I never did recover that deer. And I, Ugh. for the life of me, I don't know. And I think I showed you the pictures of, like, the blood pile that I had. And uh, I hit him. He hunched up, and he stood there. I knocked another arrow, hit him again, almost in the same identical place. He runs off. He burns around, and I see the dust flying. So I just say, you know what? I'm just going to give him some time. So I gave him 30 minutes, and it was getting dark. So I'm like, well, I can't give him a whole lot more time. I walk over there. He stands up from his bed and runs off. And when I go look at his bed, I just see this pool of blood and it's foamy and it's like lung blood, right? But it wasn't like obviously double lung blood or he'd have been killed over. He got up and ran, 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 gone and uh, didn't recover him that night. Came back the next day. Buddy of mine came with me. We went looking for him, found very little blood and just... That's archery hunting, though, dude. You know? I mean, it's painful. It is. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I never like to... I mean, hitting an animal is one thing, but never recovering them is, is very hard. But, you know, you also never know, you know, did he, you know, die right there somewhere and, and, and he ended up in a pile? Yeah. Or, as we've heard so many different times, did he run over onto the neighboring property and the, the neighbor drive by and go, hey, dead deer pretty nice one yep. i'll put my tag on him exactly throw him in the back of the truck and take off with exactly him, you know because i don't know how many stories we heard this year of of yeah. people losing animals to other people tagging them and yeah. taking them yeah it's a weird year man yeah and i even the next morning i was two or three coyotes just yipping like crazy in that same canyon and i'm thinking he's in here somewhere you know and uh just never to turn him up but it was it was bittersweet because i was watching this buck like it was like a summer thing you know it's like spring you start to see him grow and i'm like well, wow he's okay he's a three point and then you start following this deer and you actually kind of get attached to it right yeah and uh here i am i like i have this opportunity and i stalked in on this deer and uh you know it was about a 50 yard shot and um just hit him i thought i hit him really good and i just think i hit him a little bit high and he just stood there and he hunched up and he just kind of stood there. And then I knocked another arrow and I smacked him again, almost, I thought in the exact same place. And, um, he ran off with one arrow and I was able to recover the other arrow. And, um, yeah. 
Well, those things that's, happen, it, and for those out there that have never wounded an animal, it's that's a, archery it's a, hunting. You know, it's a gut wrenching experience, but it it will happen to you sooner or not, sooner or later. Yeah, and you know, I'm I'm testament to that too. Yeah. So. How'd, yeah, ri- so. how'd rifle go for you then? Didn't even go. <laughs> Actually, I think I did. I went out. I went out a few times with my bow. I didn't even rifle hunt. And uh, you know, by that time, the reason I like hunting these deer early is because they're in velvet, and they're you know they're obviously you can stock in on them and, and you can get close. But when they start getting shot at and they drop that velvet and they oh get hard God. antlered, they just they turn into a different animal, and um, they're very nomadic. Um, they go nocturnal right? Like you were saying, it's five minutes left to shoot and here comes the bucks, you know I mean? And that's what happens in rifle season. And, you know, most of the places that we hunt that are public lands, it's just so tough because there's so many people and so many hunters that, I mean, you go out there with your bow, it's like, you know, what are you even doing when you got a bunch of guys shooting, you know, any legal spike by fork that's out there, you know, and that's. Well, and you know, I mean, my goal this year was to take my daughter and get my daughter a buck and oh my God, Gosh, I had, I think I calculated out 16 half days of hunting for blacktail bucks. And I saw one legal buck and it was at like 1100 yards. And by the time we closed the distance to get in there, it was dark. So it, it was really, it was a, it was a painful hunting season. And, you know, my daughter, of course, is used to being able to just go out and, shoot the biggest thing on the friggin' hill and yeah. like, Oh yeah, this is no big deal. And it was oh, pretty big bull elk six point boom. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was, it was pretty humbling. Yeah. And, and you know, I, of course I took her most of the times, but then some of the times I took my boy with too. And, you know, we had, we basically set up game plans and we knew exactly the area we were going. And for the first time I kind of let him wander off on his own and he was like, he was all exhilarated about, you know, that responsibility. Yeah. But Lord have mercy. I mean, we, we pounded it. I yeah. mean, we literally pounded it at 16 half days hit and we saw one legal buck yeah. during shooting light hours. And it was, it was, it was that evening and it was literally, you know, 1100 yards away. And I was like, okay, I know right where it's at. I know right how to get to it. But it came out, you know, 20, 30 minutes of light left. We were clean on another top of a ridge. We cut the distance to two, 300 yards. But then he went into some oak patch and, and that was and, it. And that was it. Yeah. So it was, it was a humbling blacktail A zone season sure. this year. It was, you know, so. and, but still, I mean, it's, it's nice to have that season because it kind of preps you and gets you ready for. September, oh man, which I think I'm going to tee you up and let you talk a little bit about the basically probably the once in a lifetime tag you'll draw, you know, in Nevada. So after 19 years of applying, and I didn't think I'd draw it this early, I drew a um, area 111 to 115. Excuse me, 111 to 113, yeah. 115, yeah, uh, yeah, one of those things. 11 anyway, to 15, yeah, um, so it was a premium trophy elk hunt. The cool part is um, you get to hunt the biggest elk on earth. Yeah. The crappy part is bad moisture year this year and uh, not as good of horn growth as we would have liked. But regardless, there was 
only 35 hunters out in the field at the same time hunting elk and i was one of them so in a lot of i mean when you combine those five units there's oh, a lot it's, it's monstrous. there's a lot of property there it's monstrous and it's mostly public land right yeah i mean almost all of it's public land and and really like i said there's not that many people well i went for a the couple days of opener and kind of explored a little bit but never really put a lot of effort into the early season because they open up really early. Um, they run, uh, if I remember right, it was like the 22nd of August through like say September 15, 16. And, um, for me, I wanted to, I, I was hoping that maybe there would be some bulls in the velvet still. But when I showed up, basically all the elk had already rubbed off, but they were definitely no, chasing elk going on so my hopes was that i would go back home and come back the last 10 or 12 days of the season and potentially get into some rutting action Mm -hmm. which in the end the reality was there was really no rutting action that happened before the end of the season but the positive thing is the bulls were out there and they were talking a little bit so usually locating them wasn't a difficult situation yeah but Stalking a elk by himself in wide open sagebrush country, yeah, that is a real challenge. Yeah, and uh, so in, ended up really after hunting for for quite a few days, um, figuring out that the really the only way that I was going to be successful and kill a good bull in in Nevada was to sit water. And let me tell you, people. Sitting water is what I did, and it was excruciatingly painful. For those whitetail hunters out there that sit in a stand 24-7 yeah, all, all the day. time, hats off to you. I mean, maybe being ADHD and having all kinds of other symptoms of can't sit still is, is why I can't do it. But it was rough. It was rough. I mean, I literally would get into the blind sometimes at at 10 in the morning and stay until dark. And as we know, it doesn't get dark until really late in September. Um, but in the end it paid off, you know, I mean, I killed an absolute beautiful five by six. Bull. Yeah, you did. I mean, it, I keep wishing he had the six point yeah. and, and I keep wishing he was a little wider and I keep wishing that I would have killed the bull that I saw from three miles away that was like the monarch bull that you dream about. But, you know, we spent three days looking for that damn thing and never Just saw him never again. never turned him up, yeah. So, you know, the downside is now I'm in a five or a seven-year moratorium where I can't even build a point yeah, in that state I for know. elk. And so the reality is that I'll probably never hunt elk in the state of uh, Nevada again. But Unless you move there maybe, then you might, you know. But even as a resident, it's, I oh, mean. Most of the residents that I know are just like, they get to hunt it once or twice in their life. And, yeah. then, and then that's it. That's you it. Know? But it was phenomenal. I mean, hats off to Nevada for producing the elk herd that they produced. Yep. I mean, they, they this manage bull, it very tightly. You said how many tags? 35. Yeah. This bull that I killed was just an absolute brute. I mean, there was another bigger bull that was there, but he was a lot younger. This bull that I killed was way heavy horned. His thirds were off the chart. Great thirds. And good I, mean, fr- I mean, overall good fronts too. Oh yeah. I mean, all these points were excellent. Yeah. You know, he's just missing one of them. He's missing one. But that's just the way it was. And when he walked in, there was no doubt in my mind 
that if he presented me a good shot that I was going to send that Ramcat to the right spot. Yeah. So, and you did. Yeah. He actually, that shot was pretty on target. I mean, I literally went in and he took one step and I think he pulled the arrow back through his heart mm-hmm. and he took a total of, of 13 steps when he fell over. I mean, yeah. he literally, I knocked another arrow and I was getting ready for a second shot because I was going to put another hole in him. And as I came to draw, he literally did the spread your legs out, wobble, wobble. And I'm thinking, is he going to? And he fell over. I was like, well, I guess he is. I guess I don't need to put another arrow in him. Guess I don't. So Nevada elk hunting people. That's if awesome. If you're not trying, you got to put your name in the hat. Yeah. It's an expensive tag. I will tell you, it was painful paying that price. But man, oh man. Nevada squares points. So, you know, once you start building a few points, they square everything. So, you know, your chances and your odds start to go up quite, you know, substantially. But to draw a unit like you had, you really got to be in that 18, 19, right? I mean, you just got to be up there where you got to be dedicated. Yeah. You know, I mean, you got to look at it and go a long term plan. You know, that's not a state that you're going to go, oh, I'm going to draw a tag every three, four years. No. I mean, that's actually the first tag in Nevada that I've drawn. So, I mean, for me, that's, that's, and you a, have lots of points built I have up lots in that state, deer points and, but I, and I, sheep I, points. I also don't apply, I don't apply for, I, I apply for the absolute best. That's it. Yeah. You know, but usually by the time Nevada rolls around, I know, you know, like we've talked about in regards to, you know, strategies on drawing tags, you know, Arizona's already come out. So I may, a lot of years I, you know, I've drawn four tags in, in Arizona for elk. So those four years, I was like, dude, I, yeah. I do not want an extra elk tag. And then when April tag. comes around Nevada, you're like, I already got my elk tag. I yeah. don't need a, so, I don't need so, another one. So that, those four of those 19 years, I was like, absolutely not going to draw a tag in Nevada on those situations. Yeah. And, and that happens. Same thing yeah. with you, you know, Montana, New Mexico. Yeah. Know. So I, hell, I remember being at work and uh, pulling up New Mexico and seeing basically all reds and then one green. And I was like... Green? green green what the hell is that i've never seen something. that before and i remember calling you i think i sent you the text first that i had drawn elk because when i saw the green i'm like okay because i apply for sheep i apply for ibex i apply for audad i apply for deer and i apply for elk i apply for five species in new mexico i'm thinking you know did i draw a sheep tag did i draw you know did i draw you know a deer tag i mean what did i draw and uh, sure enough, I ended up drawing, um, you know, the uh, Unit 13 New Mexico elk tag. And unbeknownst to me, didn't, you know, know much about the unit, didn't know really anything about it. And next thing I know, I, you know, I, I look in Hunt and Fool, which is when I applied for it, and realized that, yeah, it's one of the top five units in the state, which is probably why I applied for it, right? Most likely. And based on the <laughs> odds, you know, it, 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 it's not... It's not 16A, 16D in the Gila, but it's in that top five quadrant, right, of, of units. And um, and I knew I was going to hunt Montana because every year I go back and do the native non-resident program. So I can basically hunt for a little over resident rates when I go back. So I get my elk and deer tag for, you know, for pennies on the dollar, essentially. Um, so I started my trip in Montana, drove up and um, hunted elk. Um, you know, another unfortunate story, I had a really good six point and I say really good, but Montana standards, he was under 300 inches, but he was in that, you know, just in that general vicinity good area, solid bull. good solid bull, six point and, um, hit him high again. And, um, you know, wounded him and never did recover that bull. And unfortunately, um, just didn't get another crack at another animal. Um, but what I did do is I ended up, you know, we ended up turning up six deer that, 
in this area that we generally elk hunt, we don't we see deer there, but we never see the genetics like we saw this year. We saw one buck that was a triple fork, six by seven. We saw one buck that was a deep four by four that was I. I I feel Judge pushed him at close to 180-inch deer. Wow. Um, you know, 24, 26 wide box, deep forks, probably another 24, 25 tall, just a beautiful frame deer in, in velvet. And uh, I stalked in on top of him. He was bedded in a little cut of sage. I got above him at 64 yards, and I was sitting there. I had my pin set. I had everything ready, and I was just waiting for him to stand up. And uh, I could have got closer, and as I started working closer, I didn't realize the other bucks with him were off to my right in the sage. <laughs> they pop up. So immediately I turn over and I look, and I see that triple fork buck. And I'm thinking, I mean, how many times in your life are you going to shoot a buck that's got triple forks, right? Yeah. So yeah. I range him. And he was at like 72. So then I go and I adjust my pin. And as I'm doing that, I turn around and I look and he's standing up broadside and he's looking at me. So I go back down to 61. And as I go to draw, he takes off. And had I just been, (laughs) had I just been, you know, content with knowing he was going to pop up, I would have probably put an arrow in that buck. And so anyway, that was kind of bittersweet. And then the last day I was leaving, I packed up camp. Um, elk camp and I was leaving and I ended up spotting these deer again. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to give it one more chance. So I went and I put a stock in and I think I got close to a hundred yards and they were kind of slow moving and I couldn't, I couldn't get a shot on them. But, uh, yeah, Montana was, was fun. Got to catch up with all my buddies, but that's, that's the dream though. Right. I mean, uh, we always laugh about, you know, when you have a deer tag in your pocket, what do you do? You see monster bucks. When you have a buck tag in your pocket, you see you see monster bull. bulls. Yeah. But in your case, you had both tags in your pocket, and and you were able to do that. The problem that I always tell everybody is you have to focus. You have to focus you on have one. To it's focus. hard. And in my opinion, of course, you know I'm I love eating elk, and I love hunting elk. But man, deer are just like that bad affliction. And I'm so much, I'm so more successful hunting elk than I am deer, but maybe that's the reason I like to hunt deer more, you know? And I'm an elk snob, but I have definitely gotten a deer bug over the last few years. There's just something about them that, that it's chasing those mule deer. And and these are, you know, these are early season velvet bucks. When you start talking about chasing them in November in Montana, when they're lip curling and pushing does, I mean, that's a, that's a whole other element, right? So then I packed up, uh, I packed up my stuff, uh, and I headed to New Mexico. And uh, the cool thing about the New Mexico hunt was, is that um, you know Randy Newberg and I had been conversing, um, you know, prior in that unit, and uh, you know he had drawn the early season tag. So he was there, and he was basically one of my best scouts. I mean, he had been hunting that unit for ten to twelve days before I got there. Uh, and when I got there, I was fortunate to be able to, to go out with him and, and spend a couple days in camp with him, and and uh, just you know, just I mean. Most see Randy uh, in a different light, right? You see him on TV, you see him at the trade shows, you see him as a keynote speaker, you know, at the sheep show, yeah. and he's just this this bigger than life, you know, guy in our industry. And then you literally go into his camp, and he's just got a you know a standard, you know, he's got a nice Hilleberg tent, but he's got a lot of nice gear. But he's just a natural, normal dude, right? And I I've met Randy. I met Randy at the shows before, and and just uh, like the rest of us smucks, you know, we live out of our back of our truck, basically, and, yeah. and chase the animals that we love dearly. Yeah, yeah. The beauty of this trip, though, is I actually brought him dilly bars, so I know he, you know he's a. <laughs> I saw he, that picture. Yeah. The problem was is that they had melted because New Mexico this year, unfortunately, was so hot. Um, that the elk hunting was, was just really tough. So yeah, to close out Randy's hunt, um, you know, we, they, 
they didn't, I don't even think he drew his bow back in, in those 10, 12 days. And then I came in after that and I had the 15th to the 24th tag. So you're thinking, okay, September 15 to 24, you know, the bulls were starting to, you know, Randy was saying they're just starting to snap a little bit. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you, you literally started hunting. That was the last weekend of my, my yeah, hunt. Yeah. And, you know, I killed my bull with, I still had 35 minutes of light left. Yeah plenty of time but you were off yeah and and now that's a little geographically you were a little further south than i was yeah so yeah you know you didn't see that much action you saw a little bit but you mentioned how many times the crazy thing was is that rut changed and i told uh, that's why i told randy when when i eventually ended up talking to him again i said the day your last day is the day that we went and set up our camp and I had a couple buddies with me um, on that hunt for a few days that night we couldn't sleep where we camped because it was an area that I had scouted I went in August for a weekend and scouted set game cameras and felt this is probably one of my top three areas that I want to spend time in we could not sleep that whole night because of the bulls bugling within a few hundred yards of our camp and I'm thinking that night I'm thinking this is going to be awesome right so we get up that next morning before light. We're putting our stuff on, hearing, hearing bulls bugle. So we kind of go back to the area that I figured we would, you know, we would go because the night before we scouted, we had bulls bugle and we had elk all around us. It was just crazy. Um, sun came up at like six forty, and by like seven o'clock, nothing, and it was already seventy some degrees, and that was the story of that hunt. Those bulls each day got quieter and quieter to the point to the second to last day I was hunting by myself for about five days the last five tail end days of the season I was solo by myself I was getting up at 2 a.m that's painful and I was getting trying to get in front of them because I could hear them I mean from midnight to 4 a.m they were just screaming and I and when I say screaming I mean it was to the point where you just lay in bed and you're like I mean I had my earplugs in and I was still hearing them right so I was getting up at 2 a.m and I was getting on the ridge, and I was trying to get in front of them. And every single day, they would just shut up. And cow calls, right as it cow, gets light. cow calls were useless. Bugles were useless. It was like it was a spot and stock. Try to get in on these elk and try to kill one. Now and, you had um, mentioned to me too that basically, unlike Montana hunting, that when you would bugle, they would just run. They would run, literally. Yeah, it was. Like in Montana. I mean, these tags are pretty precious. It's not like there's a lot of people hunting. And the funny thing is, is everyone I talked to leading up to this hunt, I got a lot of information from from some of the hunting resource companies. Everyone I talked to said, just leave your bugle at camp. Just listen listen to a bugle and try to get on them, try to spot and stalk them, try to, if they've got cows, just try to work them and just get close. And I'm thinking, yeah, whatever. I love to bugle, right? Well... That was good advice because every time I brought my bugle and I used it, I never had anything respond to me ever. Cow calls were depending okay, um, but there was a few times. I mean, I had opportunities. I could have shot many spikes. It was any elk, so I could have shot spike, cow, or, or mature bull, but I wasn't there to shoot a raghorn, right? Yeah. I was there because I had a tag that I may never draw that tag again. New Mexico is a no-point state. You just never know, right? I mean, it was it was a five less than five percent chance draw for me as a non-resident. Um, so you know, and I had a chance the second to last day. I sat water, and I did. I just I disciplined myself, and I had <laughs> I had a, a decent five point, and I say decent, but you know, for the bulls that I saw come into water at twenty-two yards, and he was sitting there sloshing around, wallowing in the water, and I didn't shoot him, right? 
And uh, the last day, the last morning, I did the two o'clock deal. I got up, I got in front of this bull, and um, and uh, and uh, it was the five point um, that my buddy Ben and I had been chasing like the second or third day that we had actually we'd actually gotten to New Mexico. Um, so it was pretty cool because um, that morning I knew it was his bugle and I knew exactly what it was. I knew it was that bull and he was screaming all morning. So I was able to follow him and I kept working up and I, I just basically stayed on his line until I got above him. And I knew I got above him because the wind was perfect. The wind was blowing in my face. It was coming up the ridge. Cows were starting to come by me. I'm thinking, okay, it's my last day. It's going to all come together, right? And, and he was a legitimate 300 300 plus inch five point. I mean, he was a, a just a big, massive five, right? Just kind yeah. of one of those bowls. You're wow. like, you know, you wish he was a six point because then he would have went to the 340 range, but he was just a five point genetically, right? But yeah. just a big bodied five. Um, and uh, so I could hear him bugling and I heard the bugles getting closer. I'm thinking, okay, it's going to happen. Cows are coming, twistling by me at 30, 40 yards and I'm just sitting there and I'm ready. Uh, and all of a sudden it just like stops. Like I, the cows kind of start feeding down and I don't hear any more bugles. So I'm like, okay, where'd he go? So I just do a light cow call thinking, cause the cows are kind of mewing a little bit. I just do this light little estrus cow call. All of a sudden it was like the whole mountain erupted <laughs> off the mountain, down the <laughs> other side, up the other side, down the other way. And I'm just sitting there and I'm shaking my head like, I have tried to call these elk. I've tried to cow call them. I've tried to bugle them. I've tried to spot and stalk them. I've tried to get in front of them every morning. And it was just like failed attempt after failed attempt. And uh, I just, I, I, I literally, for one time in my life, I felt defeated, right? And I, I looked at myself. I'm like, okay, I've been hunting this unit for nine days now. I haven't drawn my bow back. Now, <laughs> by choice, I had not drawn my bow yeah. back. Um, but I walked back to camp and I was like, I was content. I packed up my camp, took me an hour, got everything in my truck. It was like 11 o'clock. I got in my truck and I drove home. Yeah. I think you called me when you were, yeah. you, you had packed everything up and you called me. I was just and I, kinda... could, I could tell, I mean, but you know, that is a challenging thing when, for those of you that haven't hunted alone, you know, when you go out and you have some friends, they could keep you motivated when your friends leave oh, yeah. and you struggle and struggle and struggle. And, and, and I have to tell you, just like I told you before, you know, I sat water and it sucked. Absolutely excruciating sitting water. It is. But the reality was that when I sat water, I had opportunities yeah, and I was painful sitting water. And, and I, yeah. as I told you, I had that one big six point walk in yeah. six yards behind the fricking blind. And I'm sitting in the blind with my bow and I'm like, there's a cow in the marsh. I'm like, all he's got to do is commit another, another five to eight feet. If he would have walked out another five to eight feet and stuck his muzzle in the edge of the water, I could have put an arrow on him. Yeah. And what did he do? He smelled a rat. Yeah. And he turned around and he just walked away. And I'm like, how do they do that? I know. But that tells you, you know, for those people that are patient and if you can do it, you know, sit in water is, 
is is a is a secret it is. That, that works. I mean, they gonna go to water. They have they to. They gotta drink. Yeah. So I know yeah, it was I, a bummer. And 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 again, I I could have. I could have harvested an elk. I just, I was there with this envisioning thought that uh, this is do. my one opportunity to, to shoot that 300 class inch bull and uh, just didn't happen. And uh, I look back on it now and I mean, I don't regret it because I ended up, you know, filling my Montana elk tag eventually, but um, I would go back and hunt that unit again in a heartbeat because I know exactly where to go. I know exactly where the elk are and I kind of have somewhat of an idea how they're, you know, what their temperament was, but it was interesting when I'm reading blogs and I'm reading Facebook posts this year from outfitters in, in New Mexico, it was pretty resounding that this year was one of the tougher years that they've had um, with their elk herds. And uh, although there were some good bulls taken this year, um, it just they it was rough. It was a rough year. It was a tough year, and well, a lot and of we'll people get, didn't fill we'll their get, tags. We'll get to New Mexico deer hunting here yeah. later on too. Yeah. But so before we do that, man, Kodiak. <sighs> I'm telling you, I told you, I, I did told a whole you. podcast on Kodiak, which most of you probably, I think it's 61 or 62. You'll have to check it out. But yeah, so I got back from New Mexico and no rest for the wicked. Three weeks later, I was turning my gear over to plan a trip to do basically a DIY chartered trip uh, on a boat, but a uh, Kodiak Island trip. And, Tran- uh, a transporter. Transporter. Trip. Yeah. Transport yeah. trip. Um, and I wasn't outfitted, wasn't guided transport trip. And, and it was through, um, it was through hunt and fool. So Austin puts that hunt together and, you know, gets a group of, of eight to 10 guys together every year and does that. And, uh, I talked to my brother about it and I talked to another one of my buddies. I said, Hey man, this is actually a pretty good deal. Um, you know, we can go and we can basically have a hot meal. So your on a brother, boat. your brother, I, I, I kill know. that guy. You, I know. You know we so should... I bring my brother and of yeah. course he spoil. Yeah. Spoiler. Yeah. We, uh, so we, we hunted an area of the Island. That's, that's a pretty sacred area of the Island. And, and it's that way for a reason, because nine guys shot bucks that day and I was the only one that didn't, but <laughs> Hey, listen, you, you know, you've got the legs and, and you had to pack the meat. I yeah. mean, somebody's got to do it. Yep. Damn it. Why wasn't I on that hunt? You oh, should yeah. have been. You yeah. invited me. I know. I'm, Kodiak I'm... was incredible. So my brother shot basically the jackpot buck, first buck that I glassed up in that part of the island. I looking at that buck and I said, I don't think I've ever seen a, a four by four. Right. I mean, sick of blacktail. Don't see Pretty em. common to see fork and horns. Three point is kind of like semi the holy grail but the four by four is oh, like unheard of you don't see many of them so i'm glassing this buck up and i'm seeing one side he's got four points i'm thinking wow so I, I get my spotting scope out and i start really breaking them down and when i saw four on both sides my brother was there i said man someone has to kill this deer you know and i'm thinking is it going to be me or my buddy cody to go spot it and stock it with a bow or do we need to lay this thing down with a rifle? Lay it down. So I took my brother and I set him up, uh, and uh, it was kind of nerve wracking because we lost the buck originally. Um, he bedded down, and there that was stuff's enough, thick. It, it's so thick, and there was another three by three within uh, fifty yards of him. And another guy in our group, Mike, who ended up just being a really good guy. I said, you know, Mike, if you want this buck, take him. I don't know where that four by four went. So Mike gets set up three oh eight. Wham! Hammers this buck, drops down. All of a sudden, I look over to the left. What stands up? I'm that telling four you, by four. that stuff, that, I mean, and you talked in your podcast about climbing through that stuff. Yeah. And it's only a couple thousand feet, and you're like, oh, this is chump change. Yeah. Takes you three, four hours. Five hours to, later, you yeah. actually start hunting. So anyway, um, yeah, so then that buck stood up, and I had my brother set up. He was already proned out, and I said, 200 yards, Harley, hammer him. He jacked one in and just hammered that four by four. So we had Dude, that's two bucks down right there. 
The funny thing was, is after that, another three by three stood up to the right of us. I looked at Cody. I said, you want it? He goes, yep. He goes out, goes on a stock, gets into 50 yards, sticks that buck with his bow. (laughs) So we're like here, first hunt, first morning, we have three deer down. And I'm like, okay, I'm looking at myself like, okay, I was selfless. I, I wanted my brother to shoot that buck. Mike had that shot at the three point. I said, Cody, go do that. So then I realized, okay, there's four of us, there's three deer down. And we'd already pushed a brown bear off the mountain that morning. So I'm thinking, okay, this is going to be interesting. So this is not your typical California blacktail hunt, folks. This is like, this is, you could buy three tags. Did I mention it? Three tags. Exactly. So we're all breaking these deer down. And, uh, oh yeah, by the way, Kodiak Island is kind of known for that. Uh, oh yeah, that Kodiak brown bear. Well, unfortunately, we didn't have any issues breaking those deer down. However, comma, when we packed those three deer out, Cody and I came back on the island, uh, and my brother stayed on the boat, and uh, him and I went, and I tried to get on a, a buck that afternoon, and uh, lo and behold, I was sitting on a point glass, and, and I see this bear coming out, and I just see his nose in the air, and he covered probably a mile and a half in less than five minutes through that stuff. I don't know. I, I don't know how they move so fast. He hit the gut pile. Then he hit the next gut pile and he hit two gut piles and then he just blew out of there. And, uh, so I knew, I mean, it was real to me because that was my first experience seeing one of those Volkswagen bugs moving through that stuff. I told you, um, just a whole different level of respect for that animal. Those, for those people that don't know about brown bears, they are just an incredible animal. The brown bears on Kodiak Island are some of the biggest in the world. Next level. And let me tell you, you know, I was fortunate enough to hunt one. And when they reach over and grab a, you know, a 12 to 14 inch around tree that's 25 plus foot tall and they put their claws underneath it and literally pull it out of the ground just like that. Yeah. You get a realization of how awesome they are. Well, and to sum up Kodiak, I mean, so we ended up all shooting deer. I ended up shooting two deer, but I got it. I mean, I've told the story a couple of times, but the last day we're going on the Island, I hadn't killed the deer yet. And it was kind of like, it was that, it was like D day, right? It's like, it was like today's slack day or get your stuff done. to get it done. Right. And uh, we're sitting there glassing up this pretty good three by three. And I'm contemplating, do I borrow Mike's gun and shoot this thing or do I shoot it with my bow? I'm like, I came here to kill buck with my bow. So anyway, lo and behold, we're sitting here looking at this buck and all of a sudden we hear the alders crashing off to the left and I'm thinking, okay, I think there's some deer around us. Um, well, yeah, those weren't deer. Um, that was a, (laughs) that was a Kodiak brown bear that came within 10 paces as Mike and I both were basically a full draw with my 10 millimeter and his 45. And then Cody was locked with his, with his bow. And, uh, all I can say is, is the best thing that bear, the best decision he made was turn around because it was going to get pretty ugly really quick if he'd have taken another step. So, well, and you know, I mean, those bear, you realize that you are not the apex predator on that Island. You're not. Those bears are absolute machines they are. at killing stuff yeah. and they're not afraid of nothing. But a lot of times, which you guys did, you know, you, hey bear, hey yep. bear, hey, hey bear, bear, waved, yep. waved. Exactly. And they, and they actually did move. Yeah. It moved away from you, which is a good sign because, you know, yeah. we've seen lots of times, and especially since, you know, the bears there are hunted. So a lot of times they are afraid of humans, unlike the Wyoming and Montana and, and situations that we're having up there where a lot of people are getting mauled and or actually killed. Yeah, so. it's sad. It's sad what's happening here in the States. But, you know, those those bears feed on salmon. They feed on deer. 
you know, in that time of year, it's like they have plenty of feed, right? Yeah. So they're probably not as, you as know, aggressive, aggressive as, as the bears we're dealing with here yeah. in the States. But anyway, the only plug I'll say is, is if Kodiak is not on your bucket list, it has to be, you've been many oh, times. Um, yeah. and, and I will, in my lifetime, I know I will go again and hunt that Island and, uh, just, just a phenomenal trip. Great experience with my brother to go and do that. Right. Him and I haven't done a trip like that in a long time. So, um, Larson Bay is fun place to be, ain't it? Just had a great time and, and, uh, <laughs> Kodiak was fun. So anyway, so yeah, let's get you back on. So Wyatt draws two deer tags this year. Little spoiled brat. God, I love him. Yeah, he's a good boy. I like him too. You know, the, I hate the, him, but I like him. Yeah, the the cool part is uh, we had the the Colorado deer hunt, and the beautiful side about that hunt was uh, on my sheep hunt a few years back. I had met a guy, uh, Kurt, who uh, who told me, "Hey, look, if you want to bring a kid out and go deer hunting, uh, you know." please bring them out. We'll, we'll get it all taken care of. So I threw my kid in for an area that that's really not known to be very difficult. Lots of people hunting it. And lo and behold, he draws the tag. So we were at the, well, what they call second rifle season, which is really the first time that you could use a rifle. Correct. Um, but you know, the moon phase was crappy and the, the weather, as we started off, there was a little storm that hit just before we went, but Man, according to the weather, it was going to be hot, hot, hot. And what I mean by that is, you know, 8,000 feet and it was going to be 70 degrees. The positive note is I had local intel and my friend Kurt, we hooked up um, ahead of time. We did some scouting. I saw a couple of deer that were pretty interesting. But then opening morning, you know, we dropped into this big burn and we started glass and everything. And man, it was not long yep. and we started turning up bucks and it was like one buck after another in fact i think we saw a total of nine nine legal bucks um two of which were which in my book were shooters um one was a little far it was around 800 yards but the buck that my son ended up killing you know it actually he spotted it why it spotted it because we were looking further away trying to relocate this one deer that had kind of disappeared on us and all of a sudden, why it's like, hey, what about this deer right here? And I mean, it was like 412 yards. I looked down, I'm like, get on the gun. Funny part is my buddy Kurt was like, hey, hey, you know, that other deer, it's pretty nice deer. When I finally got Kurt on this deer, he's like, man, I think this is probably, he had done inventory, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he had looked over hundreds of bucks in that area. And he said the deer that, that we were looking at was probably you know, the top three deer sure. in the area. Sure. So as that deer kind of fed up, fed away from us, I, I kept thinking, man, I think we should have shot that deer, but it was opening morning, you know, but as I was looking at the weather forecast, I'm thinking, man, it's, it's going to be miserable hot. I mean, deer are going to be out very early in the morning, very late at night. We had already heard shots. This area had plenty of tags. So we mm-hmm. knew what was going to happen. Sure. It was going to get really crazy deer were going to start getting a little freaked out and then surprise surprise they'd all disappear well lo and behold um that deer went and bedded up next to another buck that we had spotted and we could actually see him from where we were glassing from so you know he was turning and looking and as he turned one time i saw an extra point on him and when i saw that extra point that was his downfall. He away. had great eye yeah. guards. He was really symmetrical, but it's he had nice one deer. little extra point. Nice deer. And so we put a stock on him, got got within uh, 300 yards of him, 
and uh, he was bedded down right underneath a big old boulder. That was beautiful. I mean, the funny part is my boy, of course, got a little wound up and he couldn't keep his you know, gun steady and sure. he couldn't prone out because no. we were in sagebrush. I don't blame him. And uh, I probably would have got a little wobbly too. I'm yeah. looking at that deer. He sent, he sent one wildly, but then as the deer was walking away, I said, you got to hit him. And he, he put a hole in him and then he, the deer turned sideways and was kind of stumbling. And actually uh, that third shot was just spot on. I yeah. Mean, that deer That's didn't awesome. go anywhere. That's awesome. So, yeah, Colorado was good for you guys. Colorado was fantastic. It was crazy because it was like drive two days, spend two days scouting, spend all of, you know, two and a half hours hunting. <laughs> that's okay. And then, right? spend, and then spend, you know, the rest there's of the day. There's nothing wrong with that. I That's what I thought. But my son was like, man, you know, dad, we took all this time off and, you know. You spend a couple days in glass a few, but then you realize, okay, I'm glad I shot that buck because I haven't seen anyone bigger than that one. Right? That's true. Actually, you know, we, we didn't hardly see anything better than that after that. So. so. And then that rolls us back. We came back to California for, for a couple of weeks. And then he had that late youth New Mexico deer tag, which of course I had, you know, hunting mule deer in December. You get to experience that because of going to Montana. Yeah, Thanksgiving, late November, but still it's, that's the peak of the rut that time. I just had this dream of 180 class bucks bouncing all over the place yeah. and, and oh my god this is going to be a slam dunk hunt it was in unit 10 for those that don't know that's out of gallop um got over there we actually scheduled uh, the youth tags are weird weird from my standpoint they only let the kids hunt on the weekends because mm-hmm. they don't want them skipping school i like to always hunt the weekdays so yeah not as much traffic know, and we went early i figured two three days four days of scouting ahead of time and i i was just i knew we were gonna have multiple bucks figured out well the first day i got there um i glassed a whole bunch of area i didn't even see a deer the second day i ended up seeing i think a total out of the whole day i saw 27 does not one Ugh, buck in December. In December, twenty-seven does should have a buck pushing them in December. The third day, one would think the weather dropped. A front came in, and I'm like, "It's gonna snow all day." I think I saw another fifteen does and one little buck. I was just disheartened. I mean, yeah. now here's the kicker: saw hundreds of elk, hundreds yeah, and hundreds of, of elk. Saw one 340 class bull three different times in the exact same spot. Every time I pulled up to this place to glass for deer, I was like, well, I got to look in this one little cut to see if the bull's there. Yep, he's there. Okay, stop looking at him. Move on. We don't have an elk tag. Ended up, you know, dumping eight inches of snow just before the day that we could hunt, which was December 8th. I was like, okay, this is a no-brainer. Yeah. I'm going to be able to find a big old buck. We glassed all morning. We got fogged in. Once we got fogged in, I decided, hey, you know what? I'm just going to drive the roads. It's fresh snow. We were the first people on the mountain. I said, all we got to do is find a buck track, cross on the road. We'll follow them. We'll kill them. I did not cut one buck track in like four hours of driving in fresh snow yeah. all over this mountain that I thought would be a slam dunk. It was, it was tough. And we did end up, 
I spotted a deer up on a grassy knoll that the whole rest of the mountain was covered with snow. Found this one deer up on this grassy knoll. And I told myself, there's got to be a buck with that doe. The Sunday morning we went back, hiked into this area. It was a crappy spot. And I just knew, I just knew. I said, this is, there's going to be a big old buck with this doe. It's in that type of a place that just it, it, nobody else is going there. And we got all set up. And right at about 8.45, this doe pops over this ridge right onto this grassy knoll, starts chewing on this piece of sagebrush. And I'm like, it is going to happen. There's going to be a buck. And this little 20-inch 4x4 walked over, lip curling, sniffing her and, and walking around. And I thought, what? This is wrong? Yeah. This not that's. And then the worst part, I looked at my son. I thought, oh, my God. He's probably going to want to kill this thing. And then it's going to be two days getting this deer out of here. You yeah, know, kind of exactly. one of those good Dale scenarios. Yep. Shoot them in the back country and then spend the rest of your time getting them out. Sure. And he looked at me and he goes, man, dad, that's, that's kind of small. I was thinking, oh, thank God. I think he's got sense. <laughs> and we also, we also had eight hours more of hunting left. So yeah. we packed out of there and, and went and looked, but we ended up not seeing uh, another legal buck <sighs> after that. So, Jeez. I know everybody tells me that the genetics there and that, you know, that there's big deer there, but man, we just didn't see him. Huh? We spent we two spent, days. We spent six days of hard yeah, scouting true. and cutting and looking and glassing and doing what we normally do. That turns results just did not work out. Yeah, so that happens, right? I mean, I didn't punch my tag in New Mexico, so not that that was the curse, but back to that, that New Mexico. Happen. You know, I think you and I are going to have to apply for New Mexico this coming year just so we can to. kill something I think we're gonna and have say to that we actually did it. Get back at New Mexico. Yeah, so then I, the last hunt of the year, at least for me, is I went back to Montana. and I always do a Thanksgiving hunt with my brother and family. And uh, I had one day to hunt elk and fortunately was able to get out with my buddies. And uh, I shot a good cow. So I got a cow elk. Um, I love the photograph of the teeth yeah, and the got date. The, got that the, was pretty uh, awesome. Yeah, I got the tag notched. I got the, uh, the ivories. And then uh, I just shot a dinosaur of a cow. She was just an old, big brute of a cow. But... Um, probably will taste like leather i've ate a little over she's not too bad so ah you know elk hamburger no, is the best no, yeah there's no bad elk and then spent the last um, few days of the week before thanksgiving hunting deer with my brother and we just we, we had a ball together just him and i out you know just pushing rutting mule deer and we actually ended up getting him a, a pretty nice little four by four white tail buck down on the milk river valley so it just it just worked out well and and um, i wasn't over ecstatic about filling my deer tag because i'd already shot an elk i had this elk in the freezer in my truck so i was like well i you know i don't really need a deer so um anyway so it was it was good it was a it was a really good trip so anyway that sums up 18 so real quick 2019 i mean what do you got on the radar we're gonna be it's gonna be here and it's gonna be here in what uh 10 days 11 days right it's amazing how this year is blown by and already thinking about next year you know i mean you and I are going to need to talk. We had talked about potentially a, a Colorado elk hunt together. Colorado elk combo. Um, we got points to do that. We, you know, we we it, it's really going to depend on. I think you know the first tags out is Arizona elk. Exactly, and then I Wyoming. Dream, I dream about Arizona elk every year. I know. Um, 
my my big thing is I really want to draw my Colorado goat tag, which I think I I probably can do. And if that happens, then that kind of puts everything else kind of on 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 notice. Sure. So I'd like to do that an elk priority. I'd like to do an elk hunt because you could always archery elk hunt, and then probably do the the goat hunt. And then after that, it's, you know, see what, see the what kids, you draw, right? Yeah, the see, kids, see what the kids hit, yeah. you know, but that's really everything on my, my list. Of course, you know, I've been asked to go to New Zealand and it's on my list, but as you know, I'm trying to move to Arizona. Yeah. And, you slug. Uh, You're leaving me. Well, you some know, extent, but I love, I love you, okay. man. But the reality is that uh, yeah. you could come visit me at this time of year next year. Hopefully I'll be a resident. Then we can go deer hunting. We could go deer hunting. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Now that has that some sounds bitties. like a good idea. You know, Arizona Christmas in Arizona. I mean, come on. I could probably do that. I could deal. That could be my new tradition. I'm just, I'm just saying, mom, dad, brother, yeah. you're you're invited to come to Arizona for Christmas. Yeah. So. Yeah. So yeah, 2019. I mean, you know, we're gonna try to hit a few trade shows, hopefully, if yeah. if time yeah. permitting and, and schedule works, um, and then basically typical i'll be you know doing turkey hunting pig hunts um you know i got my guide license now so i'm gonna try to get a little more business this year doing that um you know took an elk hunter out this year so that was fun uh, but the only thing i really have on the books right now is is that moose hunt that i booked with my buddy cody uh in you Antioch. guys are freaking nuts i know we're gonna go with our bows and and try to shoot two moose within 15 days but we'll we'll see how that goes but yes yeah, so that's for for next year that's the only thing that i've bought paid for already already on the books just got to get my plane ticket and other than that you know i'll probably draw a few tags i'll get a montana elk and deer tag and maybe get dumb lucky and you know draw an arizona tag or maybe another new mexico tag we'll, well see but uh yeah that's it that's all that's the only thing on the plate so you gotta put your name in the hat in order to have a chance yeah and i and i took that on to heart 20 years ago and now i've got enough points in a lot of places that i have to be careful you know yeah at the same time the cool thing is i also have points enough to in a lot of states share if i want to yeah you know nevada's, and, nevada's an example of that right yeah well and nevada really they're deer dude i mean come on they have produced some absolute stomper bucks they have yeah and you know while hunting elk is almost impossible hunting deer is, is a reality i mean yeah it, it can happen it really is yep so well, hello man stuff, man wrapping up the year it's been a good year and looking forward to 2019 and you know I, it'll be another it'll be another epic experience yeah, i know just, it you just you think about what's the new year going to bring and it's like that's always different experiences even though you may go to the same place or hunt the same area it's just going to be a completely different experience right and, and that's and, that's and what pre, i love about and, it and you're pre-warned you know what happens if we do decide to go to safari club I'm just telling you, I'm warning you right now, shit happens there. Well, I think Sorry, we people, need to I go, wasn't supposed to say that. I think we that. need to go to Safari Club. If we, we need to go see Alex anyway. If so. we go up there and do that, I have a sneaking suspicion that we might add some more stuff to our plate that we haven't figured out how to figure out. I need, I need like a fairy god parent, you know, somebody mm-hmm. that'll like, that like email me or drop me money yeah. when, when you go, Oh you just yeah, need I that tree that. in your backyard and then you can just grow hundred dollar bills off of it. I planted trees in my backyard. None of them have produced any green dollar bills or any gold coins. I don't understand it. Well, I'm on assignment when I go to sheep in February to look for a doll sheep hunt for 2020. So <sighs> My brother wants to do that in 20, and I've got another guy that wants to do it, so I'm going to try to see if I can find 
a four person combo deal and see what I can get. I've got a couple outfitters I've already reached out to. So I think 2020 dull sheep could become a reality along with potentially going back to Africa too. So, and doing that, that Buffalo hunt that you and I talked about. So anyway, a lot of stuff planned, but, um, you know, you just, you never know. Right. We'll talk, we'll talk about it as we start doing some shows and actually interviewing some people and and doing that fun stuff. Who knows where the hell you'll be. You might be in Namibia chasing a mountain zebra or something crazy like that. That's true. So peace out, everybody. Had a great year, 2018 in the books and, uh, you know, Merry Christmas to you coming up. You're going to be spending time with the family. And then next thing you know, it's going to be 2019 and we're going to be blowing and going as usual, whacking and stacking like we do. So. Yes, indeed. It will be a beautiful year. I guarantee it. Yep. And I just want to say on, on behalf of Arnie Outdoors, I want to thank all our listeners, all our committed listeners, all our subscribers. Um, it's been another great year. Um, our podcast numbers continue to just climb and increase. And a lot of that's just due to everyone's efforts and support. And Jason, you're a big supporter and wearing the, the gear and the hats and, and supporting the effort that we try to do. And uh, just really appreciate what everyone's done. And we'll continue to crank out podcasts going forward. So, And please... Leave a review. Even if you say, you know, these guys really are boring. Yeah. Leave something. Leave Come a review. on. Yeah. Tell us what we're doing. Call us. Ask us some questions. We'll figure it out. Go to Africa. Kill a whole bunch of stuff. You'll love it. Exactly. Peace out, man. Right, Till the next go round. Sounds good. Ciao. Ciao. Hey everyone, this is Lucas Paw, host of the RNA Outdoors podcast. Please check out Podbean and iTunes. If you have an iPhone or iPad, go to the podcast app on your device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it will automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded and they will download into your queue. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean, Stitcher, or use our website www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. In addition, under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on our social media outlets, Twitter at RNA Outdoors, Facebook, RNA Outdoors, and Instagram, Rod and Arrow Outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well. If you like what you've heard, we hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues. Keep up the good fight. We cannot sit by and watch the public lands devoted to wildlife protection wither away. There's simply too much at stake. Make your voice heard, speak up, and get involved with conservation efforts. And know that every little bit helps. As we say on the mountain, go farther, stay longer.